invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 3. Verses 13 to 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, we ask that you would give us insight into your word, and that we would have this wisdom that is from above, in Christ's name, amen. Well, last week, the question that James asked was, who is wise and understanding among you? And the answer was the one who is skillful at the art of living righteous. That's the one who's wise and understanding among you. It's what it means to be wise and understanding. And yet, if you want to live righteous, you need wisdom. You must acquire wisdom. James is a wisdom book, and he's calling you to to get wisdom. That's what we discussed last week. And this week, we continue on this uh, series on small little series on wisdom. However, this week, James is going to ask a different question. He's not going to ask who is wise and understanding among you. He's going to ask, which wisdom do you possess? Which one? You see, according to our passage, there are two wisdoms available. And at any given moment, as you live in this world, you're embracing the one or embracing the other. And James wants you to know which wisdom you actually possess in reality. He's concerned that you get the right wisdom. And so what he does in our passage is contrast these two wisdoms. He's going to talk about their origin, and he's going to talk about their offspring, and he's going to talk about their outcome. And so that is what we'll cover this morning, the origin of false and true wisdom, the offspring of false and true wisdom, and then the outcome of false and true wisdom. And so let's walk through these. First, the origin of false wisdom. Verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The origin is from below. He says it's earthly, this wisdom. It's wisdom according to the world's standards. It's unspiritual. That is, it's sense-oriented. It appeals to the senses. It appeals to the emotions and earthly passions. It's a wisdom that feels right at the moment, and therefore we follow it. And, it, and then he goes on to say that it's, it's demonic, 
It's a wisdom that finds its origin in the influences of Satan. Now, this is the third time James has mentioned the demonic. He, he said we need to be warned and careful about having a demonic faith, and then he talked about our demonic tongue, and now he talks about our demonic wisdom. And see, false wisdom has the world, the flesh, and the devil, our, our three great enemies. It has it written all over it. And since we're tempted each day by the world, by the flesh, and by the devil, when we embrace this false wisdom, we're, what we're doing when we do that is, is joining hands with, with the one who seeks to devour us. He, he's trying to drag us away from God. He's trying to drive us into sin, and which wisdom we choose will determine how that works out. And so we need to be alert is the point. We must be careful. And false wisdom comes in many shades and colors. You see, like the father of false wisdom himself, Satan, the wisdom often disguises itself as light. It seems wise. It it's, you know, in the top 100 of the New York Times best-selling book for philosophy and understanding life. But let me give you a few examples. In, in the 60s, there was an Episcopal priest by the name of Joseph Fletcher. And he taught what is called situational ethics. Uh, that all, uh, moral principles can be decided on given certain situations if love is best served. He said, love is the ultimate law, and all other laws must be cast aside in order to fulfill the ultimate law of love. And so in this philosophy, there is no absolute right or wrong decisions. It depends on the situation. The situation decides. At times, it would be loving to help someone commit suicide, for example, it may be loving to steal from the rich to support the poor. It may be loving to commit adultery. It may be loving to lie. The situation decides. The ends justify the means. That's the slogan. The end, which is love, justifies the means of maybe stealing or lying, killing, any of these. Now, from an earthly perspective... It can seem kind of wise. Who wants someone to starve? You got to love them, so you got to feed them. Or, or who do you want? Who do? Who wants somebody to suffer pain, or, or maybe live without any type of romantic relationship and companionship? And so, in the name of love, we break the law because it seems wise. Uh, but in reality, the. The truth is, this way of thinking is a violation of God's immutable law. And so it's worldly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic wisdom. That's just one example. Let me give you another. It follows up on this. Um, and that is the idea, our, our present idea of tolerance. Now, I've talked about this before, I believe, when we were in um, either earlier in James or in Ecclesiastes. But in either case... Now, we understand tolerance properly defined is appropriate. You know, we, we, we don't, somebody disagrees with us, we, we, you know, recognize that they can have their opinion and we can agree to disagree type belief and we can sympathize maybe with those beliefs um, and we have a right to disagree with one another. 
That's what we would call social tolerance. It, it allows us not to attack each other all the time. But today, this tolerance is a little different. It means more. It means that everyone's values, everyone's beliefs, everyone's lifestyles, everyone's claims to truth are equally valid. No one is right or no one is wrong, or better yet, everyone is right. Why? Because it's my truth, and, and, and I'm just sharing my truth. And, and, and if you say that's wrong, you're being intolerant. See, people now believe that they have the right to never hear something they disagree with. They believe that they have the right to never be critiqued or, or even criticized for their beliefs, no matter how foolish the belief may be. I am not to be criticized for it. I'm not to be judged for it. And so you can't be tolerated in that situation if you're doing that. And again, this seems wise. It would prevent a lot of anger. You know, there wouldn't be fighting. Probably would be less wars. It goes the argument. But see, if you're willing to accept this wisdom, what you're doing is you're compromising with the demonic wisdom, with the world. And you better, as a Christian at least, be prepared to give up your faith or at least suffer for it, because according to the tolerance policy, anyone or any belief that seems intolerant needs to be suppressed. It even needs to be punished. This intolerance must not be tolerated. And see, the wisdom behind this tolerance teaches we must never say, for example, in our day, what are the issues? That there are only two genders, that, that, that same-sex marriage, we would say, as Christians is wrong, that homosexuality is sin, or abortion is murder. Or, uh, theologically speaking, that's ethically, theologically speaking, that we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's so intolerant. It's so exclusive. And so we can't allow it. This is what cancel culture is all about. You've heard that, maybe you've heard that term before, maybe you haven't. You say something that, that a group of people don't like on Twitter, you know, that all-important place that we can say something in 128 characters, and, and you make a statement, and people come at your head, and they want your job, they want your influence, they want your ability to share your opinion shut down completely, all because you shared a different opinion. And, and, and see, beloved, when you put that all together, the reality of that, it doesn't seem like it's long until the view of tolerance seeks to shut down the mouth of God and His Word. And, and it's already beginning to happen. We're not experiencing it in any serious threat, but it's beginning to happen. And so that's the wisdom from below. They're just some examples of it. And it can come across as wise. But James says, you'd be a fool to follow it. And so in contrast to this wisdom from below, verse 17 says there's a wisdom from above. And so this wisdom is heavenly. This wisdom is spiritual. This wisdom is divine. And so that is the choice before you. Worldly or heavenly wisdom, fleshly or spiritual wisdom, demonic or divine wisdom. 
And, and understand, this is a choice that you make every day. It's not just something you made when you first got saved. I embraced divine wisdom now. It's every day. As believers, we can switch back and forth between demonic and divine wisdom in just a matter of seconds. Embrace the one and then embrace the other, almost in the same breath. In fact, we know that's to be true because the apostle Peter did it. He pulled it off on one occasion, and Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, the one who's the most outspoken, speaks out and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven, Matthew 16. See, Peter displays wisdom from above. He has this divine wisdom. He acknowledges who Jesus is. And so now Jesus goes on in that same chapter within a few verses and says, I need to let you know that I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, and then I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. And now Peter speaks up again and says, no, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. In six verses, a matter of minutes, Peter went from wisdom from above to wisdom from below, divine wisdom to demonic wisdom. And see, that's not to pick on Peter. That's to point out that if he could do it, we can do it as well. Uh, and Peter's example actually fits well in the context because it has to do with the tongue. And as you know, we spoke about the tongue already. One Peter had a divine tongue speaking divine wisdom, and the next minute he had a demonic tongue speaking demonic wisdom. And so we're all prone to, to plunge into demonic thinking. Uh, we often, we just critique the world's wisdom, but we often think the ends justify the means. We don't, want to, we don't want to be rude, so we don't confront sin in others. We want to be tolerant. We, we often believe lying or gossip or anger or judging are called for. You know, given the situation, I wouldn't normally do this, but let me tell you some gossip. It, it, you know, it, it, the ends justify the means. We're most guilty of this, I find, um, with this type of wisdom is how we try to reach the lost. We want to reach the lost, situational ethics. The situation is we love the lost. We want to reach them, and so we need to compromise and do things their way. And so whole church organizations take surveys of what the world wants and then decides to do that in church and then think that if they could just throw in Jesus at the end, it'll be okay. They water down the gospel and, and its exclusive claims. Jesus says, I am the only way. He's not one of many. We water it down because we don't want to offend them. We, we shape our worship services around a worldly agenda all in the name of evangelism. I can remember a church or a so-called church in Florida that we had connection with in some ways, not in the same denomination, and they would constantly sing secular music in their worship services. And when I say that, you say, all right, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's probably songs you wouldn't even let your children listen to at home, and they're playing them in the worship service. Why? Because they love their neighbor, and they want to reach them with the gospel, they say to me. It's worldly wisdom. And so it's not the wisdom that comes 
from above. We can't act like the world and expect to win people to an otherworldly religion that is Christianity. And so you need to make a choice. You need to choose wisdom from above or wisdom from below. And so that's the origins of false and true uh, wisdom. Let's look at the offspring of false and true wisdom. Now, I use that word offspring um, probably to keep the O's, um, but it, it keeps the alliteration. But more importantly, it kind of points out that this, this, when certain seed, as it were, uh, belief, certain wisdom is planted in your heart, it, it gives birth to something. It is some type of lifestyle characteristics are, are, are come out of that decision. And the opposite's true as well. When godly wisdom is implanted in your heart, then you'll give birth, the offspring will be godly characteristics. And so I, I want to walk through these and ask yourself this, which characteristics are found in your life? Which are you producing? Which, are, which of these characteristics are you giving birth to? Now, first, note the offspring of false wisdom. Look at verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts and do not boast uh, and do not boast and be false to the truth. The first is bitter jealousy. The word bitter carries the idea of piercing. James uses the word to say this is the worst type of jealousy. It's piercing, it's harsh, it's, it's sharp, it's, it's cutting, it's, it's destructive. It has no concern whatsoever for the feelings or welfare of others. See, a person driven by this demonic wisdom is a person who's utterly self-centered. His personal ideas, his desires, her goals and standards are all that matter. People serve as a means to an end for this type of person. And if you get in this type of person's way of reaching their goals, you immediately become the enemy. That's what a person with bitter jealousy is. That's the first offspring. Second of false wisdom is selfish ambition, which is kind of the motive on which bitter jealousy is based. Selfish ambition is one word in Greek. It means strife, contentiousness, extreme selfishness. It refers to the characteristic of putting oneself forward and seeking only what benefits self. One writer said that this kind of person relishes the malicious, petty triumph of one group over another. Selfish ambition. Well, in addition to that, we have this wisdom also is arrogant, we're told, third. It boasts. The idea is a person, again, exalting over another who's not a prominent, you know, looking down and, and they're not important. And that was a virtue in that day. You, you know, in, in that world, in the Roman world. And we see it in our society, mainly in sports is a good example. You ever watch boxing? They're always boasting. They're always glorying in themselves. It's for entertainment purposes, I realize, but they believe this. You know, always exalting over their opponent. And, and it's come to be expected. And, and it's seen as wise. You got to get in their head. You know, it's wise. If, 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 if you, if, if you want to get ahead and, and you want to get into their head, you got to do this kind of thing. You have to show your superior. And let me just say, jealousy and ambition and boasting do have a certain logic to them. I mean, it goes like this. If I don't look out for myself, who will? 
I mean, somebody's got to look out for me. Who will notice? I, I, I must take what I deserve. You need to promote yourself. I was always taught by my mentor, Rick Phillips, you never in the ministry promote yourself. As I watched others over and over just throwing themselves out there as if they were the best writer, best speaker, best this in the world because they had a social media page. And he goes, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, he got it. I haven't, I haven't been promoted and thrust into the limelight. But it could get jealousy can come in when that happens, when you see the people around you moving forward. And he would just say to me, you wait for the Lord to promote you. And so you got to be careful of that. It's demonic thinking. It may seem logical in a fallen sinful world to promote yourself in order to get your name out there, but it's not wisdom from above. Above, excuse me, it's from below. Now, let me just say, this doesn't have, mean you shouldn't have goals. <laughs> it's not saying don't have any ambitions. I, I better bury my head in the sand and just wait for the Lord to pick me up and put me somewhere. No. But you, you, you shouldn't have bitter jealousy. You shouldn't have selfish ambition. And you shouldn't be arrogantly boasting. Because when you do, you're following the wisdom from below. See, it's the kind of wisdom... If I were to give an illustration, it gives birth to Satan and his de demons desiring to rebel against God. You read about that in Ezekiel 28, poetically. It's the kind of wisdom that gave birth to the disciples. You remember they're together, they're walking with their Savior and their rabbi Jesus, and they, they start arguing. And their argument is over, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And they start boasting in that. No, oh, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. See, this wisdom extols as virtue, such thing as power and position and privilege and prestige. It's, it's a selfish me first attitude. And it has absolutely no place in the Christian life. If your life is full of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and arrogant boasting, and then your character contradicts your claim to have true wisdom from above. James says you're being false to the truth in verse 14. Your claim to possess true wisdom, that is, it, it, just to get to the foundation, to, to possess Christ doesn't match the characteristics you are producing, the offspring you are producing. Well, how do we know that? Well, because true wisdom from above, says verse 17, the offspring of true wisdom is first pure then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He begins with purity. And wisdom that comes from above remains unstained from the world. It, it's undefiled. It, it's morally pure. And this is the case because the person who possesses this wisdom is cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who himself is pure, 1 John 3, 3. And purity is placed first because it's the key to all the other qualities of wisdom to follow. Kent Hughes says, the authenticity and the intensity of your purity determines the outworking of all the other qualities of heavenly wisdom. Here he says, look, the idea is that purity is actually a motive for godly wisdom more than it's a characteristic per se. Remember, we moved into what James is focusing on now, remaining unstained from the world. You're to live a pure life. 
And so to do that, you need heavenly wisdom. Because heavenly wisdom produces the following seven offspring or characteristics. First, it's peaceable. Although holding on firm to the truth, wisdom from above makes every effort to be at peace with others. As Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, earlier we talked about taking a stand for the truth and, and, and being able to present the truth, not my truth, the truth, but we do it in a loving way. If you view the person on the other side of the political aisle as your enemy, they're going to pick up on that, and they're not going to hear the truth. And so we seek peace, but we don't compromise. Um, we, we, we moved into this theme of remaining unstained from the world, and so we, we have to, we have to uh, stay pure, and we, we have to speak truth, but we also need to bring about the idea of loving others peacefully. It is peaceable, this wisdom. And it's worth noting something here. Think of the relationship between the purity we just talked about and the peace. I am a, a sinner who needs to be saved, and I'm saved through uh, the purity of, that is, of Jesus Christ. And what is that purity that once I'm connected and united to Christ bring about? It brings about peace between me and God the Father. We were his enemies, and now we have been brought into a relationship with him. We were children of the devil. Now we're children of God. And so Christ's purity, which declares me righteous when I accept him by faith, Christ's purity brings peace between me and God. And now, because of that purity, I can have peace with my neighbor. And so I hope you see at the very least, as we go through this, walking through all these different things James says, that apart from Christ, none of this is possible. If you don't know Christ, if you don't possess Christ, if you're not united to Christ, you'll never have the wisdom from above. It, it, it must begin with Christ. You must begin by looking to Christ. And so this wisdom is first peaceable. Now second, <coughs> it's gentle. Those who possess it are kind in dealing with others. The idea is considerate, humbly patient, forbearing, and fair. Those who are genuinely gentle know that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, cor correcting those in opposition. Notice that. You're correcting those with gentleness. That's 2 Timothy 2. Heavenly wisdom is gentle. Let's move along. Third, this wisdom is open to reason. It's reasonable. It's fair-minded. The idea is a person is ready to obey, ready to get along with others, uh, to yield to others, not in matters of truth, but in matters of opinion, in matters of liberty. We can disagree. We just did this when we had this conference on end times. People have strong opinions on both sides, um, but we open to reason on both sides. A, a, a better example of that would be in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 25, there's a woman named Abigail, and she approaches King David, 
And what we read brings together both the offspring of gentleness and the offspring of being open to reason. Abigail's husband, Nabal, is foolishly and arrogantly rejecting David's friendly and generous overtures. David sent his servants to Nabal in peace, but Nabal protested and he raged against them. And so David, king, does so what he should do. He gets ready to go to battle with Nabal. Um, and he would, uh, we know from the story, that he would have destroyed him. And so Abigail intervened, and she gently argued against the violence and sought forgiveness for her husband's foolishness. I said in the first service, I don't know how often does that happen regularly in life. And, 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 and so here she is, she intervenes with King David, and David responds, Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, this wisdom, and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, he said, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come to quit this quickly to me, if you had not been wise, Abigail, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Look, if, if, if you didn't intervene, I was going to kill them all. And this isn't arrogant boasting. It's just reality. I would have destroyed them. And so Abigail was filled with the gentleness of heavenly wisdom and prevented much bloodshed. And David was filled with the reasonableness of heavenly wisdom. He was open-minded here and listened to Abigail. And, and so heavenly wisdom is open to reason. Fourth, the wisdom is full of mercy. We know this. The person who possesses this wisdom is quick to forgive the offenses of others, but they go a step further um, than that. They're even willing to reach out and give a helping hand to those who may have wronged them. It's full of mercy. Fifth, this wisdom is full of good fruits. It goes beyond hearing to actually doing the word. Uh, see, a, 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 a truly wise person will produce the fruits of righteousness, of the Spirit, that is, Galatians 5. Their faith will be known for good works, says James 2. And so the wisdom is full of good fruits. Six, this wisdom is impartial. It's unwavering. It doesn't face both ways. It's not divided. This person who has this kind of wisdom, they have no respecter of persons. They don't show favoritism. They treat all fairly and on the same basis. It's impartial. Finally, it's without hypocrisy, he says. It flows from a heart that truly desires to please God. They're not putting on a show. It's the real deal. That's the wisdom from above. It's first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruits. It's unwavering, and it's without hypocrisy. And so there you have it. And James presents the options. It's either bitter jealousy and selfish ambition or peaceable and gentle. Arrogance and boasting or purity and reasonableness. Judgmental and condemning or impartial and merciful. It's self-seeking and lies against the truth or bears good fruit and without hypocrisy. That's the lifestyle choice before you. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, in light of what James has said, 
Is it any wonder that these offspring, these characteristics coming from two different origins, each produce a different outcome? That's our third point. The one, look at verse 16, the one produces disorder in every vile practice. Verse 18, the other, a harvest of righteousness. The one causes confusion. The one produces peace. The one causes every evil thing. The other bears the fruit of righteousness. And notice that your wisdom not only affects yourself but others. If you embrace demonic wisdom, it causes confusion in your life, but it also causes confusion in the life of others. It brings about evil and destruction wherever you go. But if you embrace divine wisdom, it brings about righteousness and peace in your own life and in the life of others. He says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's sown in your own heart and it's sown in the heart of others. See, the point James is making is clear. It's, it's actually found in the contrast. Uh, I'll close with this. Nothing good ever came about where there is disorder and division, and where there is jealousy and selfishness. And it just never has. But where heavenly wisdom is found, purity and peace flow, gentleness and reasonableness flow, mercy and good fruit, steadfastness and unwavering, unhypocritical living that produces righteousness. Is that you? Is that what characterizes your life? Do you have the wisdom of God? Are you pursuing purity of heart? Well, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. Are, are, are you a peacemaker? Well, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Are you gentle? Blessed are the gentle, he says, for they shall inherit the earth. Are you open to reason, humble, willing to yield and put others first? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you merciful? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Are you producing the fruits of righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you impartial? Are you unwavering? And without hypocrisy, despite the opposition, despite the persecution you may receive, you take a stand. Well, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so ask yourself, do I have the wisdom that comes down from above? Oh, of course, there'll be a mixture of both. We're not better than Peter. But do I have heavenly, spiritual, and divine wisdom? Has Jesus himself implanted this wisdom in my heart? And the answer to that question is seen in your lifestyle. See, you are saved into wisdom through Jesus Christ. And and then the, the Scripture becomes the source of your wisdom. And the Holy Spirit becomes the teacher of this wisdom. And then your life. Your life begins to reflect this wisdom. It may be a long process. But I ask, who is wise and understanding among you? And the answer is, let them show it by embracing heavenly wisdom. Let's pray. Father, help us to...
Choose wisdom over folly. Choose wisdom from above over wisdom from below. Divine wisdom over demonic wisdom. Forgive us when in one breath we are uh, displaying this, this wisdom from above and in the next where we show that we've embraced the demonic wisdom. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit. For Christ's name and your glory. Amen.